and banter. Oh, already? Yeah, say all the things that you want to say now. <laughs> okay. Well, Byron, you're a real taskmaster. <laughs> I got to tell you, I kind of feel like wives are wholly detrimental to, to, to like creative things. They don't have to be, though. I mean, like when, when we talked about podcasting, my wife rolled her eyes at me. When I was announcing it from the pulpit earlier today, your wife did like a quick like turn of the head like <laughs> to like the girl next to her. What you, girl was next to her? I don't know. Do you think Einstein had to deal with this? Was Einstein married? Probably not. <laughs> I bet he wasn't. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Hair like that. Oh, but hanging but if, his tongue out everywhere. But if he was, his wife was probably like, "Oh, here he goes again with his physics." Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think the, Yeah, the main problem he ran into though was that he couldn't get away with marrying anybody without getting into, um, you know, incest. Okay. <laughs> okay. Who's another great thinker? Another great. It's, it's, it's that's a relativity joke. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't catch it. Relative relativity. Is yeah, he said he's. You know, it's it, <laughs> since it's all relative. Like who who's there left to marry? Yeah, right. Good point. No one. No one. Well, I mean, who's another great thinker and another creative type that probably was married, whose wife was rolling her eyes, like I don't know, like Michelangelo, you know, Leonardo. It's like, oh, there he goes again, painting that doggone chapel. Well, oh. they could they couldn't all share April O'Neil. Oh, for Pete's sake. Uh, relativity now ninja turtle jokes <laughs> keeping it fresh <laughs> so yeah anyways i don't know what their problem is i mean just two guys that want to sit around and talk about jesus and tonight we have a we have a third guy who wants to sit yeah. around and talk about jesus just with three us. guys that want to sit around and talk about jesus and record it for other people to listen to <laughs> maybe that's the problem <laughs> is it how is this a waste of our time I don't know. There, there's no way this is a waste of our time. Yeah. I mean, like, what's what's your wife doing right now? You're watching a romantic comedy? Watching a romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll bet it's not about Jesus. It's not. <laughs> although, although, is there like a fireproof two where it is a romantic comedy? Probably. About Jesus. Know. What? <laughs> I can't imagine the plot of that. Well, I mean, it's kind of like fireproof one just with a few different... Words, but which fireproof one is is basically? Hey, um, wait, what would it be called? Fireproof reignited. Welcome to Dude or Cannons. I'm Byron, and with me, as always, is Justin. Party on, Justin. Party on, Byron. And this is episode 52. If you, For those of you playing at home, I point at Justin when I ask that now, because he is keeping track of the numbers. Right, and I'm pretty sure it's 52, but it's been two weeks since we Dude or Cannoned, as our wives would this say. Is, this is correct. We've had a... I mean, it's it's intermittent. I feel like the 33 of you that are listening are understanding at this point, so... <laughs> <laughs> you're just waiting. You're just sitting there with bated breath, waiting for your phone to say... A new episode has been uploaded by Deuterocannons. So here we are. Uh, we say 50, episode 52. As always, please like, share, subscribe, tell a friend on all the available podcast networks, such as Apple Podcasts, 
what are some of the other ones? Amazon. Podbean. Podbean. Spotify. Spotify. I can never think of Spotify. Yeah. I don't know what it is. And uh, yeah, your people are adults in 2022. You know how to use the internet. Um, and so today is Justin's turn. And then with us in studio, we also have Mr. Robert Hyde again. Hello, Robert. Hello. Uh, do we need to? Do we need to like interview Robert Hyde again, or do, do we? we should, each time he comes on, we should have him reveal something else about himself. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> what did you tell us something about yourself you didn't tell us last time? How about that? I shaved my beard. <laughs> yeah. That, that. <laughs> That, that's true. My, my little girl, Ellie, when I showed her the picture that you sent to me, because you, you sit and pictured it. For those of you keeping score at home, <laughs> Robert Hyde often passes for, or has often passed for, an Amishman. He typically, and right now, is wearing black pants, black shoes, a blue button-up shirt. He's not wearing suspenders, but that's, not, that's, that's because... Yeah, that's, I, I knew something was missing. Right. <laughs> it's because he he has arrived he has arrived semi formal instead of the full formal, um, and, and and he he had a he's very frequently in the, over the years I've known him had a a large full bushy yeah. beard without a mustache. His Sunday, so, his Sunday suspenders were at the laundry. Right. <laughs> all, all, all the makings of you know just a classic Amishman, right. like he was a buggy shy of Lancaster County, <laughs> at, at at least in the, the the way that the way that he. He, he appeared, and he sent me a, a photograph via text one day, I don't know, several months ago, something like, what, what, what was the quip? I, I don't always, what, what, what did you say? Do you, do you remember mm-hmm. the joke? Because he to was totally it, clean shaven for the first time in my knowing of him. Yeah. Uh, I don't always, gosh. It, it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Do you have it on your I'll, phone? I'll have to think about yeah, it. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to look yeah. it up. And, and in but the I'll meantime... Tell you, what I'm doing right now is I'm going undercover Amish. <laughs> no one would suspect that I'm Amish. <laughs> where, where are you doing that? Right here and now? Right here and now. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Amish mafia. Right. <laughs> so I, I showed the picture to my little girl, uh, Ellie. She loves Robert. I mean, when, when, when I tell her that he's coming or that he's shown up, she just cheers... Uh, she 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 loves him. He, he's like he's like an, another another grandfather. And when I showed showed her the picture of him, she had no idea who it was. Yeah, who who he was oh. w- without yeah. without the beard. So yes, he is without without a beard. I've seen him in all manner of facial hair arrangements. I've seen mustache with chops. I've seen mustache with no chops. Really? Yeah. I've seen beard with mustache. Yeah, I've mostly seen I've mostly seen beard without mustache. But really never before except maybe when one of his daughters got married did I ever see him clean shaven. Well I fully intend to once I retire do typical retired military guy and grow a beard. I'm not gonna go like Duck Dynasty necessarily. <laughs> I'm not going to go like Robert Hyde or anything, <laughs> but I'm definitely not dragging a blade across my face for a while. That's all I know. Yeah, uh, I know. I know the feeling. Yeah. Oh, here's what I said. Okay. I don't always show my face, but when I do, it creates wrinkles in time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, show, show them that meme you created. It's solid. Oh, my goodness. It's what well a, done. What a handsome man. I almost feel like, so maybe we ought to wait, have... Wait, wait, so that's not something you pulled from the internet. You you generated your own meme. That's that's right. All right. 
with the help of my daughter. Oh, hey, that, you know that that works. It means enough. he has he has a social media team. That's, it. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like if we if we got on locals.com and we had like a, a community mm-hmm. of uh, you know members community members on on locals.com maybe we could talk about that that could be exclusive content right there talking about robert's beard <laughs> no no posting <laughs> posting that that meme of of robert yeah yeah so tonight uh we're going to be getting into a conversational form of the the sermon that i preached today and if you would like to hear that in its sermon form you can go to the allensville church of christ podcast which is available on all the same platforms that Deuterocanons is also available. And you can check that out there. You can also check out the, uh, the Allensville Singing, which we've also posted on the Allensville Church of Christ podcast. We had our 51st annual singing today. And uh, even though we, we had to take a couple years off, you know, for reasons, we had a, we had a pretty good crowd. And uh, the, the clips that I've heard so far sound, sound really good. That's great. So the sermon this morning... You know, I I was having, um, and I guess this happens pretty frequently. I was having some trouble um, knowing what direction to go in because I, I'm usually in in various places in the scriptures in, mm-hmm. in my reading, and and I've got various trains of thought that I'm that I'm considering here and there, and so sometimes it it, it can be difficult to to really narrow down exactly where where I think I, I want to go. Yeah, As I try to make prayer part of it, and and, and I don't mean. Uh, praying for hours and hours necessarily, but you know, consciously committing it to prayer multiple times in the the, the days leading up to it, mm-hmm. and so even what I was studying last night didn't didn't end up coming into into it at all. I was actually studying Acts last night, and and Robert told me on the way over here that today is Pentecost Sunday. Oh, really? I think. He, they he, were playing he Pentecost music today. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Pentecost Sunday and Todd's lesson apparently in Sunday school was about Pentecost just mm-hmm. seemingly coincidentally. And and those are the things that I was reading last night. I was taking a look at uh, the interlinear text of uh, like Acts 2 and 3 and 4, like all the way through like the Ananias and Sapphira bit. And and I, I just didn't really know what to look at. I I, I looked at a, a quite a bit in John. So are are you about to tell me that uh, our visitors got to experience a little bit of like what seems to happen in Allensville a lot? Absolutely. Yeah. You, you want you want to tell people what happens at Allensville a lot? I mean, you know, it just all seems to come together all the time, where. You know, three or four different people chosen at random to perform different duties, let's say, singing, scripture reading, communing, uh, presiding communion, preaching, <clears throat> praying, all seem to, like, it all just ends up being tied together. So, I mean, how many times has a, a preacher gotten up there? And again, we have this rotation of folks that comes through here and it's like, it, it, you know, it's so strange how well the songs meshed up with the sermon and we never even talked about it. Right. Almost every person who comes to speak says something about that. Yeah. And and for uh, probably most of you listening know that Allensville is a small rural congregation where, where, where Byron and I attend. I mean, you know, 30 to 40 people yeah. typically, sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more. We don't have a... Um, full-time. A full-time minister. Right. We also don't have a part-time minister. Yeah. We don't have a minister. We have 
We have ministers. We, we, yeah, I yeah, would say. yeah. We we have a consortium of the willing. There you go. I I preach usually a couple times a month, and, yep. and Byron preaches. I would say like once every five to six weeks. Yeah, something like that. And then we have some retired preachers who uh, fill in here and there, and we have different friends of the church like like Robert Hyde, and, and some others who come here and there, and it, it's so good to hear from from different people. Well, and you, you, so the thing about that is if it was just the same people all the time, you could see where maybe subconsciously we're just kind of continuing the conversation we had the previous week. Yeah. But the fact that folks like Robert or Jim Atwood or Mr. Ray Noggle, uh, Julius Hoven pop in and, and then we have that same experience. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where I probably will not be otherwise convinced that it's not the spirit, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, you know, I think it's pretty special. He's the only person who can read all the minds of the people who are going to show up. Right. Right. Yeah. And so even though, um, you know, some churches and some churches that I've attended have been very intentional, let's say, and that's a word that they they would tend to like to use. Yeah. Intentional about uh, the, the front end orchestration of the service, making sure that the scripture reading goes with the songs. Yeah which goes with the sermon, which go, you know, that, that everything is, is, is all, is all together. They're making sure of that. And, and I think that there, there is, there, there can be some, some value to that. And, and there, there was some, I, I guess, synergy among people in the congregation putting those, those things together. But what's, well, it's not as though you can't have the Holy Spirit work in that setting. Right? Sure. You know? Right. But I mean, I'll tell you, like, there are Sundays where I pick my songs out, like, I will say almost in a hurry as I'm waiting for the kids to come into class downstairs because mm-hmm. the kids are always downstairs, right? And and yet still, still, it seems to fall together, you know? Right. And and I'll tell you like what, what you're talking about. Like I've never done a sermon kind of uh, half prepared, but I've definitely done it with, with communion meditations. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess I think... I get more and more comfortable with it because I have, I've, you know, developed more and more confidence or faith, let's say, that it's going to. And I think it also, when all you do is do these things super intentionally, uh, I, it's like you're developing the ability to be, to be intentional, like to orchestrate, if you will. But then you're kind of like, what you're lacking is developing your, your ability to maybe improvise, mm-hmm. which again could be other things. Yeah, there there also seems to be something to this, and maybe Robert, can you remember the scripture? Maybe it's in First Corinthians, where where it's talking about propriety and worship, and it seems like in in Corinth things are perhaps a bit chaotic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and so in that passage about propriety and worship, there seems to be this idea that so sure we have these maybe different manifestations right. of the spirit that occur. And yet, there's some order within all of it, and there, yeah. there's particular value in. So, if there's somebody speaking in tongues, like you got to have that interpreter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, can can you speak to that? Well, the the classic verse I think is uh, there's a couple of verses, but one of them is "Let all things be done decently and in order." Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. and I remember hearing a good brother say. Well, yes, he says, let all things be done decently and in order, but let all things be done. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. So, and, and there's when when you have an an, an interpreter, it seems like there, there's somebody who has this gift for recognizing like what the Lord is doing and saying, right, through other people, and and, and drawing those those seemingly disparate threads of worship, perhaps together, yeah, in, into, um, and I guess maybe recognize the the message that that the Lord is 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 bringing forth. Well, one of the things I was telling the kids when we were working on uh, their Fruit of the Spirit talks, which, uh, by the way, for those of you listening at home, if you go to the Allensville Church of Christ podcast, last week uh, our young people uh, led Bible study, and our, our teens each did a, a short talk on one of the aspects of the Fruit of the Spirit, which, of course, we are also working through concurrently on here, Justin and I are. But you know, one of the things I was telling them is, like, this is a, this is a prepared public speaking scenario where you've had time to prepare but you also you have to be able to think on your feet because because there's just there's going to be opportunities that you have to capitalize on and i think that's kind of what we're talking about here where man this is what i was going to say but this this other thing is too good i have to find a way to tie it in you know Mm -hmm. and and i think a lot of that among other things only comes with practice yeah maybe well, so speaking of, of, of tying things together, that really was the, the, the theme yeah. today. Right. And I hadn't thought about it in the terms that, that you're talking about, Byron, with the, the thing that seems to happen at Allensville a lot with, with, their, with there being this unintentional, well, well what's, in, what's intentional is trying to do things that, that honor, honor the Lord and encourage mm-hmm. the folks there. But then there's this very interesting and edifying similarity in the particular aspects of what people share whether it be in songs chosen or prayers led or scriptures selected or and then uh, lessons taught so so that idea of things being drawn together mm-hmm. okay so um what w- what we looked at today <clears throat> was was thinking about the old testament a- as being dots let's say that that are connected in christ Mm-hmm. And I think that there are a lot of ways that, that we could look at that. But the one in particular that I focused on was, <clears throat> was, was the fact that even though we would expect, on the one hand, for the firstborn to be the preeminent. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, That's even in the law. Uh, I, I didn't go into that. Right. But in, in the law, it stipulates uh, that, that the firstborn is the inheritor. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that said, if, if in the law it says the firstborn's the inheritor, we see that in society all around us. But then we have examples to the contrary. Several. Lots of examples to the contrary. Yeah. We've got the Cain and Abel thing, mm-hmm. and, then, and then Seth coming later. We have Ishmael and Isaac. Mm-hmm. We have Jacob and Esau. Uh, we have... Uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, and, and and there are more examples like that. But just taking those in particular, you know, it's like why, mm-hmm. why? And, and have you all ever heard any explanations for, you know, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated? Like, like, I wh- like, like, what do people even try to address that? People worry about it. <clears throat> okay, all right. Have you have you heard? I don't know. Have you heard Christian people talk about that and and try to figure out uh, w- like what that what that means? I haven't. No, <clears throat> they just worry about it. 
Yeah. <laughs> what 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 was God thinking? You know. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you though. I mean, again, with a lot of the examples you're listing, because oftentimes it is like a Jacob, Esau, uh, uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, like two people. So a dichotomy, if you will. Yeah. But I guess some of the other ones I think of is even even Joseph himself. Certainly, yeah. it wasn't a dichotomy, but he was the the youngest. Uh, up until a point, right? Mm-hmm. Or even David. David, again, a younger brother who ends up being uh, someone of renown. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder if this doesn't come back to kind of what we're talking about, though, when it comes to our worship, is it's almost as if God is saying, like, order and intentionality, like, these are good, but don't fall in love with order. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, there are exceptions, and we need to make room for those exceptions because those exceptions can be great, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and we have to be careful to not take the wrong lesson mm-hmm. fr- from exceptions. Right. And, and, you know, this is getting into something that, that we talked about last summer. And I, I don't remember if this was a conversation, Robert, that I had with you, I think at camp that then became a podcast later, you have the, the majority versus the margin. Okay. Right, right. And, and that, that's a pattern that, that shows up in the scriptures quite a bit. Like what do we do with outliers? And, and there, there are some, there are some images of that, even in the even in the law, you know, if you look at uh, Leviticus and and Deuteronomy, you have the, the field like a, like somebody's planted field, and you know that's obviously the majority of the land, or you could say all the land is is planted, but they would not harvest the the, the corners or you know the edges. Yeah. So that means that they established a minority w- within the the majority. And it was, it was really important that they did that and that they made that distinction and that they did exactly what God said to do with that, with that margin. Uh, that also shows up in, uh, let's see, oh, that, with, with their garments, that they, they were not supposed to tie off the loose ends, but there were tassels. That, that tassel <coughs> is a margin. We know that uh, the wilderness, too, is a, is a margin. It's, a, it's, a, it's an outside place but so often it the the voice cries out in the wilderness and 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 the prophets the prophets are in the wilderness or the prophets uh come from the wilderness into the majority space with a message from the lord but the wrong lesson would be if a voice happens to call from the wilderness it is the lord mm-hmm. because in the wilderness you also have azazel <coughs> the goat demon which I know that that's all of a sudden getting real lost in the weeds. But if, if you if you go back and, and you read the law, you you, you find out about Azazel, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's really strange. But but the point is is that the wilderness has dangerous things in it. So you can't say that anything that comes from the wilderness is therefore from the Lord. So exceptions are also marginal things. Clearly, but by definition, right? They're they're marginal. So if if we pay it, we have these exceptions, like you you just said, with you know the second born being the inheritor. You know, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. The wrong lesson from that would be that we should start treating the minority as if it were the majority. The wrong lesson would be, hey. The second born should always inherit. That that's not the pattern, right? So then, then what is the the proper lesson from 
Jacob and Esau, um, D- David as opposed to Saul. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the Lord trying to trying to communicate? And if you all, since you all were in on the sermon today, if you all have any any thoughts about that already, that's good. Um, but if not, we we can go to some scriptures that I think cast some light on it. I I like the point that you made uh, this morning about uh, before and after. Let's say, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, that the what is true about the firstborn is he's before, and the secondborn is after, mm-hmm. and so you have a time sequence. Uh, always in the back of your mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Byron, you, you got any idea uh, mm. on that question? I had a comment about something else that I'm, I'm going to hold off on. Okay. Until, in, uh, in the event it comes up organically. Okay. All right, so um, in, in the sermon today, uh, the two main scriptures that we looked at rather than just uh, referencing uh, were, were in Romans chapter 5, and then 1 Corinthians 15. So there's just a couple of verses there in, in Romans 5. Starting in 12? Yeah, you're, you're faster than I am right now. And, and maybe, maybe you folks at home can hear the pages turning. I was just already there because I heard the sermon already. <laughs> ah, spoiler alert. Yeah, so it's uh, 12 through... 15 um let's see yeah byron could you could you read that therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all people came to all people because all sinned to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law nevertheless death reigned from the time of adam to the time of moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. You said to 15? You could, you could actually uh, stop right there. Yeah. All right, so, so here, here we have, the, just like we have Jacob and Esau, uh, Cain and Abel, and then Cain and Seth, Isaac and Ishmael, Ephraim and Manasseh, we now have another one of those interesting dichotomies of first and second, and we have Adam and Jesus. And, and, I, and I point that out that it's in, in Romans just to show that this idea exists in places other than 1 Corinthians, because like in 1 Corinthians, it gets more into that idea than what we have right here. This is mentioned you know, not, not in an isolated manner, but it doesn't go into the same detail that, that Paul does in in 1 Corinthians. So that idea is there um, of thinking about Adam on the one hand and thinking about Jesus uh, on, on the other. So now let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Can I, can I just say one thing yeah. right through here that I think is, is interesting is, um, let's see, where was it? So this idea of sin being in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account oh, yeah. where there is no law. So with the kids downstairs, we're continuing through the fruit of the spirit. And we're talking about goodness this morning. And so we spent a lot of time talking about like what is right and what is good. Hmm. And what I was trying to point them back to is that for us, like God is the, the, the standard for what is good for mm-hmm. what is right. In fact, I, I didn't think of this in class and I, but I, I would imagine there's probably some, something etymologically here, 
Like if we were to take one of the O's away from goodness, it would be godness, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But this, so what we're talking about is, is you know, if God isn't the standard for what is good, like like right now the problem is that good is subjective, truth is subjective, mm-hmm. right? So you think something's different. You might think something's good, and you might think something's good, and I think something's good or right. And so, like that's that's really dangerous. I think we can see how that is. But of course, everyone acts as if their their own quote unquote subjective standards of good are actually universals. Right. Well, and so when you read this passage, the idea of of but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. So when there's lawlessness, there's no standard for what is good, mm-hmm. effectively. Like it seems like one of the the things that that law does, to a certain extent, is to 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 keep death at bay. Because when there is lawlessness, mm-hmm. death abounds. Which I think I mean it says right here, right? Nevertheless, death reigned. And so when we lack a standard of what is and is not good, like death reigns. Right. And also here that there's, I think that it's, it's trying to, to make a distinction between, um, so, so that the law keeping is, is not what produces eternal life because even before, so it, it, it's, it's not that, that breaking a law actually exactly leads to death and then law keeping leads to eternal life because death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even the, I mean, the only law that there was apparently was the one that Adam and Eve broke in the garden. Mm -hmm. God hadn't specified in any other law to people in between those two time, time uh, points in time. And yet, death reigned, and so it's like, well, okay, well, why was why was death reigning? Mortality mm-hmm. that they were they were still mortal because it, it seems clear in the Genesis account that man was always mortal. Yeah. Yes, that, that there's this idea, and it, and it's a tenet of the church, and 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 I could be. I'm sure by by the Catholics and the, the Orthodox and the, the the majority of the Protestant Church would tend to teach that man was innately immortal, yeah, and that man lost immortality because of sin. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that's what it what it teaches, because if you remember at the very end of that account, you know, after the the curse to Adam, the curse to Eve, the curse to the serpent, God drives them out of Eden. Like, okay, well, why? God says mm-hmm. he drives them out of Eden specifically so that they don't take and eat of the tree of right. life and live forever. So he's, yeah. if, if, their, if their immortality is dependent on access to this tree, then their immortality is not innate. Mm-hmm. Right. It's dependent. It's conditional. This is conditional immortality that we're talking about. So without access to the tree of life, well, of course, everyone is dying and so we see that God, uh, specifically with, with Moses, began this this plan for um, specifying the laws that people were breaking in an effort to set up the situation for Jesus, mm-hmm. which would be necessary to get people back to the tree of life. Well, I wasn't trying to suggest that, again, 
uh, obedience to the law uh, equates to eternal life. I guess I'm saying quite, quite literally when, when there is lawlessness, when there's a lack of goodness or godness, uh, I mean, I, I guess we, we can see that literally in places in the world right now where like death reigns supreme. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And and you know, like you've experienced that to, to, a, to, a, to an extent that I, I, I don't think most of the rest of us have or, or could. Um, Robert, do you know if there is a, an etymological connection between good and God? Yeah, it's uh, in Nordic speech, gut, gut, God. It's mm. all, yeah. It, it's, it's it's all it's connected. all the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I, I I mean I guess I assumed as much. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, all all of that is is fascinating. And so I I mean I I'm not a Greek scholar or anything, but it's it's really interesting to look at an interlinear to see. Yeah. You know what 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 things might be lost in translation not for the fault of the translators but for the fault of our own apprehension of our language mm-hmm. are we going to corinthians now? oh yeah yeah first corinthians first corinthians 15 and i believe we looked at uh 20 through 28 and then 35 through 49 so robert could you read um first corinthians 15 20 through 28 i sure can This is from an old version of the Bible, so oh, that's it all might right. be a little bit uh, strange. But now hath Christ been raised from the dead, the first fruits of them that are asleep. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then they, they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be abolished is death. For he put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he saith all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who did subject all things unto him. And when all things have been subjected unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subjected to him that did subject all things unto him, that God may be all in all. So what's this telling us about the conceptual relationship between Adam and Jesus? It's open to open to anybody. Uh, so it seems that Adam is is who introduced sin to the world. I guess we could say. Um, so and and with that, death. And so through Christ, death is is vanquished. Right. Yeah, a- absolutely. So the pause made me nervous. <laughs> no, no. So Adam started something. Yep. And that something he started was death. Mm-hmm. Well, he started sin, and sin led to death. Yes. A- yeah, as absolutely. it says in the book of Romans. Right. So, 
sin led to death. And I was thinking, you know, um, when we were talking about mortality and so forth, what when Adam was created, he did not have immortality. Mm-hmm. What he had was he was not a sinner. Right. Yet. <laughs> right, right. You know, that that was the distinction. It wasn't that he was created immortal and lost his immortality. He was just created. And he was sinless mm-hmm. until he sinned. And then he had to be kept away from the tree of life. Right. So in Adam, or because of Adam, all die. Right. But for some reason, people have... Many, many Christians have taken that to mean that in Adam all are guilty of sin. You're correct that that's what they think. And I don't know. Are they, they right? Are they wrong? Are, are we... Am I guilty of Adam's sin? No. How can we know that? That we're, that we're not guilty of Adam's sin? Yeah. Right. I mean, it says it somewhere, right? Isn't this the whole, the son will be not guilty for the sins of the father? Right. That's what I'm okay. thinking. And, and where, right. where is that? It's in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit contentious. To are you just, being, yeah. Are, yeah, is this like, are, are you trying to be Socratic here or do you not I'm, know? No, I, no, I'm. <laughs> Did you not do your research? Um, I, no, I'm, I'm being Socratic here. Okay. See, you're catching me too. As you see me flipping over here, I was trying to find another verse because <laughs> I had a thought. And I can't. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to keep you on your toes. Uh, well, there's a passage that I'm, I'm looking for. Uh, I'm looking in Amos, but I don't think it's there uh, where it, it's the famous quote the famous said, Amos quote, which says, uh, <laughs> "The soul that sinneth, it shall die," mm-hmm. and that gets quoted out of context, where the emphasis is, "The soul that sinneth, it shall die." Mm. Okay, which is a, a judgment. Okay, mm. the passage was saying, however, that if a if a man is righteous. Uh, and his son is unrighteous, and his son is righteous, only the soul that sins shall die. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sins of the fathers are not visited on the children. Right. Uh, now, could, could it be that there, there, there are consequences, like earthly consequences, yes. you, you might say, or right. even disadvantages of, of yes. various sorts, that, right. that, that are uh, transmitted or like um, imputed, passed on right. general, generationally speaking, right. but that does not equate to Sin. damnation or like, oh, like oh. guilt, let's say. It does, yeah, it does, not, it does not equate to guilt. And this is one of the tragedies, like when you have a, 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 a girl that uh, is born and her mother was uh, very, very irresponsible, and so the child is born with fetal alcohol syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no guilt there, right? None whatsoever on the on the daughter, but there she is suffering consequences, right? Mm. And and so uh, we should not equate 
moral guilt with trouble and difficulty. Right. What? Oh man, I don't know if I want to go to like modern. <laughs> uh, I guess some of like the hot topics of the day, but when you look at the idea of uh, reparations and things like that, when it comes to slavery in the United States, you know, there's it seems like there's a lot of of folks who want to. Who, who would suggest that we are somehow guilty for the things that our ancestors did, you know, as right. white folks. And I think it's the same thing where there's no guilt there that none of us are guilty of doing any of the things that were done. That doesn't mean that there aren't second and third order effects that have, have maybe trickled down through the generations for some folks, but, but the guilt isn't there, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I would say, I mean, maybe it's just my opinion. Right, and so so that that's one that's another example of you know reading something that is good and true, kind of like we said earlier about like recognizing that there are these these interesting exceptions where where the second born is the inheritor, or the second born is the one that's chosen, or the second born is uh, receives some sort of priority. Okay, so so we can recognize that that pattern, but there are ways of of misapplying that, and so we have to be very careful about how we deal with these margins. These marginal examples, um, and so so in in yes, so that, that that's a really good example, uh, Byron, of that. And, and clearly in the scripture, we once again have this this Adam Jesus dichotomy. In Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. Can I can I just make one point real quick before we get too far away? Yeah, from yeah. I don't know if this is going to be good. I'm trying to find it. Um, something Robert was talking about as far as. The, the mortality and access to uh, the the tree of life. So again, we're talking about goodness uh, with the kids this morning. And one of the passages we read was, "How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you?" And so, what I, one of the things I kind of was questioning the kids about, it's like, so what does that mean? Like, you get good stuff as long as you're afraid of God. And it's like, what do you what what does that mean by fear? And of course, we kind of can pull that thread, and it's. Well, like it's fear, like respect, right? And so, you know, one of the things I was asking was like, right, so like with your parents, have you ever, because one of the things that we're discussing, one of the early passages, it's in Nehemiah and it talks about, it's similar to what you hear in Judges where it's, you know, you lived in cities you didn't build, you drank from wells you didn't dig, you eat from vines you didn't plant. And so I guess what what I was arguing to them, of course, now I'm stealing from from earlier, from later episodes of Deuterocanons by saying this, but (laughs) is the idea of, one of the ways God's goodness is manifested is in physical stuff. Right. Sure. Right? Yeah. And so kind of the point I was making here is we might no longer have access to our physical things. You know, with kids, I was like, everybody has an electronic device here. Have you ever not had access to your physical electronic device because you didn't, let's say, fear your dad? Like you <laughs> didn't respect your dad? And so what it reminded me of is, a similar passage we talked about with kindness where it's like uh, you'll be recipients of God's kindness so long as you continue in his kindness. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of like we see the similar thing there with the garden where they had access to this tree because they were obedient, because they feared the Lord. Uh, but but then they didn't mm-hmm. because they no longer continued in his kindness or in his goodness at that right. point. Right, and, and yet, interestingly, they were trying to become his kind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Which, that that's something that, that I, you know, Maddie was, Byron's daughter was the, the one who 
uh, spoke on kindness. And, and, and when, they were, when the kids were rehearsing, I got to be in there for a couple of weeks and offer them some feedback. And, and that, that's what I talked with them about the word kindness. And Robert, that's a conversation that you and I had. I don't know if it was at camp last year or maybe two years ago. And that, that really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. You know, just when we sat down and talked about what that word kindness really means, and then it's, you know, it's kith, kin, kin kind, of the, yeah. of the kind. Right. And that, that's what Adam and Eve were trying. I mean, you'll be like God. Mm-hmm. And so Eve's like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> You know, t- takes that <laughs> takes that bite, thinking that that's that's the way that she would become, and that Adam would become of the kind that yeah. God was. Yeah, but th- that that wasn't that wasn't how to that wasn't how to do it. Right, right. It wasn't the wrong idea. Being like God mm-hmm. is the right idea. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that anything that a person happens to do with that goal in mind actually accomplishes it. Yeah. Right. All right, I'm going to read from uh, 1 Corinthians 15:35 and following, continuing to, to look at this idea of, uh, of Adam and, and Christ. And again, the, the reason for this is that it seems like looking at this Adam and Christ dichotomy is a, is a way for us to understand that margin that, that, that we see in, in the Old Testament between these you know, pairs of favored seconds let's say. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Kindness. There, yeah, exactly. There it is right there. Mm-hmm. Kindness of the, of the type, of the sort. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Hmm. So so, so there there it is. He's the... The last Adam, or the, the the second Adam, and and that's I don't know. Like, what, what do you all what do you all think about that? I mean, I I said a lot about it this morning, but I, I'm really interested to, and that's why I wanted to, to bring this up in the podcast. Like, I I really like to know what what you all think about these verses. 
I just think it's interesting the point you made, and 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 I think these are conversations had with like Todd and Winston before. It's this idea of, like you said, like we think we're going to be like Casper the Friendly Ghost or something, but mm-hmm. but this seems to suggest that no, we are going to like be physical beings of some type. Mm-hmm. Like there's the spiritual aspect, but but I don't know if it's going to be flesh and blood. I would assume, right? But we're going we're going to have bodies. Like it's not going to be that. I don't know if I'm saying if this is necessary. Like, may, it may not be that far removed from what we're what we're used to, perhaps. Right. Yeah. I think um, the classic example is the where the the conversation uses the word glorified body, mm-hmm. and and we can understand that with respect to the resurrection of Jesus, he demonstrated what a glorified body looks like mm-hmm. and we are told that we will have one like his yeah he was able to walk move converse eat food yeah. do all the things that we do except he could do some other interesting things like walk through walls yeah uh get from here to there ascend mm-hmm. uh, a number of other capacities that he had but apparently to even cloak his identity could cloak his identity yeah on the road to emmaus yeah yeah precisely yeah. Yep. right and and to me that's consistent uh with everything that we see promised uh, in, in the letters of saint paul and mm-hmm. in the book of revelation and so forth that and you had pointed out this morning the resurrection is a resurrection of the body mm-hmm. it, it is it is a spirit the spirit clothes itself with a body and it's real it's it's there well i mean it's also like comforting i guess maybe speaking for byron travis like it's also comforting yeah because again there's i mean i think even as 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 a maybe a young person a young christian when you start to think of this idea of being resurrected like it Mm -hmm. it seems scary you know hmm but if it's not going to be all that much different than what you're used to, you know, then what's there to be afraid of? Amen. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so, so you say you say comforting. I, I think that, that that's a that, that would be a good thing for us to um, kind of dovetail into here in a second. So, but but before we get there, um, you know, I, I th- Robert, you probably had this experience, and Byron, you've had this probably had this experience also but I, I would like for you all to say like a, as we as we grow up in christian circles what would you say is the common or average or typical concept of the reward of the righteous i would say first of all it's vague mm, that's, yeah. that's the first thing i would say it's vague and uh and it's because i think because uh, people have heard things that are somewhat self-contradictory, mm-hmm. and they and they just wonder. Uh, we're sort of told that some things are going to be good, and and we're excited about you know seeing mom and dad in heaven or or whatever, and uh, and and they know that Christians have argued about different things, mm-hmm. and so I would say it's vague. Vague. Their, their thinking is vague. Yeah, that's a good word for it. I, I guess I'll bite on what I think you're asking for. It's eternal life. 
Okay, but then like, what is what is that? What does that mean? Which I guess that goes back to yeah. what Robert said. Yeah, e- eternal life can. I mean, divorced of context is vague. So, well, I I'll tell you what this reminds me of, and I, I again I want to say it was a Todd or Winston conversation, but it's this idea that we have that when we die, we're not actually dead; we're just alive somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But then we're like waiting for the actual resurrection will be like really alive or something or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. But even that idea of not being dead, just being alive somewhere else. Um, like how that's not accurate. Cause I remember having that conversation. I'm like, well, yeah. what do you mean? He's like, like, what are you going to be? He's like dead. Like you're going to be dead. Like you're going to have no consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and that, that's one of, that's one of the ideas. And, and I, th- I think that, you know, I think that some of the songs that, that are in the blue book that I actually, some of which I, I, I like and some of which maybe I don't don't like as much, they contribute to just the popular notion of, you know, heaven, pearly gates, ethereal, yeah. Caspery Streets sort of, of gold, stuff. Crystal sea. Right. Yeah. Or like, mm-hmm. when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Mm-hmm when we all get to heaven. So that makes it sound like that the reward of the righteous is somewhere else. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, not, not here. And we don't really know what it is or I've reached the land of corn and wine, mm-hmm. which did we sing that today? I think no. we did. Did we? I I, I think okay. we did. I believe we oh, did. Yeah. That's right. I, I, Beulah I, land. Yeah. Yeah. That's Beulah land, right? Be, yeah. yeah. Beulah land. It's like, what? I was singing that today. I was like, what's, I don't know what Beulah, I don't know what Beulah Land is. Is that biblical? Yeah, yes. or but it's on Earth actually. Well, <laughs> I think if you'll go look it up. Uh, yeah, in the yeah. song, in the song, it's in heaven, but in the Bible, it's on Earth. Right. <laughs> but yeah, but what I find is that, um, and and this goes along with the, the vague thing. I wonder if people are vague because we're we're kind of in, embarrassed almost to actually just say what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. So people like wrap the vagaries mm-hmm. in churchy words, yeah, like glory, yeah, yeah, it'd be glory, glory for me, yeah. Oh, that will be glory for me. <laughs> it's like okay, so what 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 do we mean by this yeah. precisely? And and I and I think Byron that, that that what you said earlier about comfort that when we think about actual bodily resurrection that does actually produce comfort mm-hmm. and we really need that right like I need it yeah a- anybody who who's faced any kind of serious hardship from the the loss of a loved one uh, illness danger uncertainty like that is really good comfort so I want to turn to and I think I'm going to keep my finger in 1 Corinthians 15 because there's plenty more there but uh 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and and that word Byron that you said comfort is going to to come up again and so I want you if you would Byron to read 1 1 uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 15 sorry 13 through uh 18 13 through 18 Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, 
so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that that we who are still alive, who are left unto the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know what it says in, in my version? Comfort one another, I bet. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Interesting. And so are these words vague or are they specific? It's pretty specific. It's pretty darn specific. <laughs> and uh, and in, back in the Corinthians passage in verse uh, 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, good. And 51, it says, I tell you a mystery. We all shall not sleep, but we shall all be changed, changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. The trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, man, the corruptible must put on incorruption and the mortal must put, put on, on immortality. immortality. It's like, that's not vague at all. That's not vague. Like it's almost like this is exactly how it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, and, and the, 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 whole, the thing from Paul and in first, in well, it's both Paul, both of them are Paul. But verse thirteen, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. <laughs> like this is going to come up. <laughs> Let's go ahead. <laughs> And in fact, it has come up. And yeah. so I'm going to tell you what Jesus says about this situation. And it, it's so specific. And, and I, th I think that that's, you know, Byron, you probably noticed that I talk about this a lot. I talk about Jesus coming back and I talk about resurrection and new heaven and new earth. Glory. Yeah. 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 I talk about that so much because it does give me so much comfort. And like what gives me comfort is the specifics. Mm -hmm. Now... Um, I think that one of the reasons that people might shy away from the specifics that we just read, I mean, black and white right there in the scriptures, is that there are those who have gone overboard with specifics that the scriptures don't provide. Right. right. Like saying, well, Jesus is going to come back in 1842. <laughs> like, like May 14th or whatever, 1842. Yeah. And th that's what the Adventists did. Yeah. I think it was 1842. Maybe at, it was 44, I believe. Yeah, so, and it was back. To, and they're like, oh, well, um, <clears throat> it, it's actually next year. Like, we got the date. We got the day of the month right. It's going to be May, whatever, 13th, 14th, whatever. Um, but it's going to be next year. So they called that the first great disappointment. <laughs> and then, you know, 1843 or whatever rolled around and Jesus didn't come back. And so that was the second great disappointment. And, 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 I, and I think, because you know, those folks were part of uh, the restoration movement, mm -hmm. and they, they were so profoundly interested and even insightful regarding prophecy, but they got specific about things that the Bible is not specific about. When, and so I think that, that over time, 
led to people shying away from the specifics because of the people who went overboard on non-scriptural right. what's so, ones. What's so silly about that to me, though, is like, I'm going to go a long way around to say this. I'm not going to uh, install a security system in my house until May 26th of 2024. Because <laughs> that's when the thief is coming. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Like, hello. <laughs> right. And like May 24th, like that's when the thief is coming. Right. Right? Like. Without warning. Yeah, like I, I, fig- I figured it out. You're I not- figured out the day and the yeah. hour. <laughs> I've read the tea leaves. Here comes the thief. <laughs> and and I, I think that it, it's so sad because I, I think that the specifics that we do know are so clear that, I mean, if, if we would just dwell on those, man, it would be so good. So, yeah, man, when I was growing up, a, a prayer that, that, or things that I would hear in church a lot, I would hear about, like, the hope of glory. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, when, when, when that day of glory shall appear. Like, okay, okay, all right. So, and, and, and I was very unclear in my mind, even though I knew about the resurrection of the dead and that Jesus is coming back and new heaven and new earth. Glory. Why don't you just say it? You know, just say it. Mm-hmm. Like, s- say what you mean. And so, like, I, I try to, I try to do that. And yeah, that, that's that's why, that's why I say it so much. That's why I got into it today. But it really does seem like Paul was constantly talking about it, and it seems like the other the other apostles were constantly talking about it because they were constantly facing death. Yeah. It's like, so how how do you? I don't think that vague hopes helps a vague hopes help a person deal with deal with death. I think you have to have something concrete, yeah, to to really to really deal with it well. And so then that takes us back to so so if these things like like how specific it is in Paul, you know, at the last Trump, like this is when this thing is happening, the dead are going to be raised. And, and we who are, happen to be alive when Jesus comes back, we're going to rise and, and meet Jesus and all these resurrected people in the air. And this is how we're always going to be with the Lord. It's like this, not some other way. So it, it's like all of the scriptures were building to that being made clear. Right. And you have that idea in Paul, too, that the, the mystery that was kept hidden for ages and generations is now manifest to the church. So then we can go back to the Old Testament and see the way that the mystery, even though it was hidden, was constantly alluded to. But also, you know, if you just listen to or read, you know, the book of Acts, or if you read Jesus, the, the, the prophecies were constantly being woven into the things that they were, they were saying. It's like they couldn't open their mouths without the prophecies of the Old Testament coming out. Because it's like they, they were recognizing by the Holy Spirit in real time how all of these things were coming together through Christ and then, then the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking uh, of the importance of these specifics in the case where St. Paul was speaking in Athens mm-hmm. and he was speaking mm-hmm. to Greek philosophers. And there were a lot of concepts that they were very familiar with and worked out. 
they had platonic forms, they had uh, truth, goodness, beauty, uh, they had the theologies about uh, the gods on Olympus and whatever. Uh, but when Paul came to them, he, he gave them two concepts that were totally foreign to them, and they misunderstood them, and that is he talked about two things very specifically. Number one, Jesus. Number two, <laughs> the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And they thought he was talking about two gods. Hmm. Well, they were half right, <laughs> you know, but... But but the important thing is, this is what he was communicating: Jesus and the resurrection. And and when he speaks in uh, in in the Corinthian letter, I believe it is, where he says, if you if you don't understand the, the resurrection, and you listen to people who say there is no resurrection, you're that's tragic. Your faith is vain. If 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 Christ is not raised from the dead, if we're not raised from the dead, what are you believing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the first part of First yeah. First Corinthians fifteen, yeah. right? Like the first I don't know dozen verses or so. Yeah. And he also said, "When I was among you, I resolved to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified." Right. I mean, that's that's really specific. It all hinges on this specific person. He, he lived, Christ died, mm -hmm. Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Right. I mean, it's, 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 it's everything right there. Um, Byron, you're flipping to something. Yeah, so uh, I think I found a way to, to introduce the thing I was going to ask uh, organically. <laughs> you were going to ask it? Is it an organic thing that you're going to ask? Yeah, or, gonna, or were you going to ask I'm going to organically organic force this into the conversation. <laughs> I'm trying to find uh, uh, one of the Lord's Supper passages where it talks about. So one of the things you met, you brought up, I don't remember why, but it was the idea of Jesus not drinking of it again until mm. he drinks with us anew. Oh, okay, yeah. That, that, so go with this because that's something I wanted to come back to. All right, so let, let's find one of the Lord's Supper accounts where it says that. I think it's in John. It's in John? Yeah, I, 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 I think it's in John. I could be wrong about that. You check that. Yeah, I'm yeah. Go, I'm going to go with good old I'm, Matthew. You go there. I'm going to go do that, Matthew. Oh, where is it? Last Supper. Uh, here it is in Matthew. I tell you, I not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So, okay, so it wasn't in John. I'm sure it's my bad. parallel passages. I'm sure Maybe it's in so. several places. So when you mentioned that, we talk about some of the other dots... What I automatically went to was the Nazarite vow. Okay. And Samson. Okay. And I was always puzzled by why part of that vow involved not drinking fermented drink, not partaking of mm -hmm. wine skins. Mm -hmm. And I oh. wonder if this is if that's part of it. Huh. Okay, go, go further with this. But I, like before I forget, I, I want to point out that, that this is a, a new thought to me, and I, I've not explored this for myself, but apparently the church fathers considered... Samson to be the judge closest to Christ. Really? Yeah, that they they saw a, a that they they saw Christ as continuing and maybe fulfilling a pattern that that Samson began. 
So if you go back to Numbers, when it describes the Nazarite vow, it says, As long as they remain under the Nazarite vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the Caesar's skins. During the entire period of the Nazarite vow, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, they must abstain from wine and other fermented drink. They must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. Then with Samson himself, um, when his mother's getting the instructions, now then, drink no wine. She's supposed to drink no wine or fermented drink. And then, of course, he's supposed to drink no wine or fermented drink. So I guess it just it, it occurred to me, like, is that is that what that's supposed to represent? Could, could it be? Mm. Like, it's the idea of that we get to a point where Jesus is like, I'm not drinking wine again until I drink it with you in heaven. I mean, imagine asking a person of that time, like they're going to take a Nazarite vow, no wine. Mm -hmm. What's the alternative? Water, which probably has protozoa in it, mm -hmm. you know, maybe milk. I don't know. I'd have to read through the vow again, mm -hmm. but I just wonder if that's another, another dot. Is that, is that something I else? I think that, it is a dot. Absolutely. It is. Right. <clears throat> I, I I don't know what to make of that, but I think you're right. Because otherwise, like, what is what is the, the significance of not drinking wine or like with grapes in particular? Like it says, no grape skins, no seeds, no nothing, nothing that has to do with grapes. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I, I got to imagine like, I mean, it's a vow, it's a sacrifice. Now, as we discussed earlier, <laughs> not cutting your hair, not shaving, maybe not so much of a sacrifice. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> But but the idea of doing without something like that, which I, I'd have to imagine is pretty essential to their diet, like that's mm -hmm. that is a sacrifice. And, and but why? And so I wonder if it isn't another type or pattern for Christ. It, it it's like the thing that they are not permitted to do is the thing that is being highlighted, mm -hmm. uh, saying that you you cannot have anything to do with a grapevine mm -hmm. means there's something special about the grapevine. Yeah. If you are forbidden, as they were, I believe, they were forbidden to um, to handle the dead. Right. If right? they did, that, they, that they was, had to start over. They had mm -hmm. to start over. Yep. Okay. Well, that ties in with the fact oh, that, that death that's it. was that's sacred. It. Yeah, death was sacred, and 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 Christ it, during the, this 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 waiting that we have for him to return, he's not touching the dead, mm. right? But he will. Yeah, yeah. When when he returns, and you know, mar marriage supper of the lamb happens with all of these people who were, and, and I don't mean that he exactly touches them. The, the, the dead and that's what brings them back but i think that symbolically that 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 might be what what's going on here the, this period of ab, uh, of abstaining he's, he's also i mean he's abstaining from coming back he's abstaining from you know drinking of the, the fruit of the vine mm -hmm. but he's also abstaining from touching the dead mm -hmm. which means that you know that i mean death is still reigning currently mm -hmm. because of this abstaining yeah mm -hmm. but that day is coming to to a close so in the marriage supper of the lamb we we know that that the the formerly dead are are there and and so that 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 meeting it's like yeah he, he's not drinking again until he wakes everybody up mm 
And I, I'm not saying that that's all there is to it. I'm, I'm sure there's a whole lot more. But this, yeah, this is a completely like, fresh thought to me. Well, isn't, is, it a, is it also kind of obvious like it's a Nazarite vow? It's Jesus yeah. of Nazareth. Well, is, is, is there a connection between Nazarite and Nazar, Nazarene? Nazarene, yeah. Yes. There might be etymologically, yes, but I don't know. Yes, there is, but I don't know what it is. I don't, I, I, don't, that, I don't know what it is either. I know that it is there. Well, that's that's some homework. Yeah, there is us. the there is the Hebrew word netzer, N-E-T-Z-E-R in English, netzer, which is a source word uh, for Nazareth, and it means branch, hmm. the branch, oh. where where the prophet says, "My servant, the my branch, servant, the branch." That's that's netzer. Yeah, my servant, the branch. That's uh, Zechariah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that that seems to also uh, be connected to I think something that Joseph said in the in the prophecies over his sons. Um, I don't remember if it's in what he said to Judah or what he said to Joseph, but I think that there's some similar similar wording there. That's like Genesis. Oh, I mean it's it's real late in Genesis, like forty nine. Yeah, let's see, uh, Judah. Lion's whelp, the scepter shall not depart. <clears throat> okay, yeah. Uh, this is in Joseph's prophecy to Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth whiter than milk. So whatever all that means, it's, it's connected. Okay, it's connected to that prophecy of the branch in Zechariah. And if it's like Netzer, and that's the root of Nazareth, that's the root of Nazarite, and clearly Nazarite has something to do with this abstaining from the fruit of the branch. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it, it it's all connected in there, somehow, mm-hmm. and, and and that's something that doesn't come through in English. But those those, those and those old church fathers who thought that that Samson was the judge closest to Christ it ha- because he's they're, a Nazarite. They're right. Yeah. They're thinking along these lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, and there there is a sense in which. And I, like, I don't know how this works, and probably talking about Samson is a whole other thing that I don't know if we can get into, but he's a Nazarite. He's not supposed to touch the dead, and yet he took that donkey's jawbone and slayed <laughs> the Philistines, which you, you, you could really see that as maybe Philistines as agents of death, and so he's using death to defeat death. Wait, but in we, a sense, like like Christ. Well, we see, but and and he had to start over. Yeah, you know <laughs> that's true. <laughs> he had, he had to regrow that head of hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. The, the, there there's there's so much there. There is, and and it, it and we're only we're only scratching the surface. But Byron, I think that you you started off by um, talking about the. Uh, how how did you start this that got us off on the on yeah, the Samson? Jesus. Oh, Jesus! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Ab- yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Ab- abstaining from uh, drinking the fruit of the vine. So, I, I think that that idea uh, sort of comes from where, where it's talking about 
uh, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. And so we we talk. We I did talk this morning about how we should understand the spiritual body that is to come, since so many people think that we're just sort of going to be angels up on clouds strumming the harps. Right. And I, I really think that I don't know if people really think that, but they let that trope replace their thinking yeah like like in the, in the place in their consciousness where where coherent specific thoughts about that should reside mm-hmm. they're, they're they've papered over that abscess <laughs> with with that with that trope yeah okay. I, I hope that's let's a, call it vague goodness vague goodness <laughs> right so you, so you see this However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. This is uh, 15, uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen forty six. The spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. Uh, Robert, like I have to, to credit you for like m- m- my being aware at all of spiritual. Like you, you were the one who, who, who told me spiritual doesn't mean not physical. Right. So I, I just want to open that up to you to maybe say the sort of things that you, you said to me about that 20 years ago. How, how, how do we know that? How should we understand uh, the, the, the difference between spiritual and, and physical? Um, how, how have we, we in general, the church, how have we got that wrong? Um, I, I don't know much about what I'm going to say, but um, the problem arises partly from Greek philosophy, mm-hmm. where there is a false split between spirit and matter, and, uh, and it gets complicated because they did not understand really what spirit was, and they didn't understand mm. what matter was. And you had guys like Plato and others who were doing their best, and you had prior philosophers who were uh, suggesting whatever they did. And so as the, if the church uh, emphasized its ministry to the Greeks and the Romans, who thought a lot like the Greeks, uh, they're having difficulty prevailing in, in telling the truth to uh, Greek thinkers, and and they're doing the best they can, but the but the Greek thinking is is uh, is muddled. I, I would say that's the simple that's the simple answer, and they couldn't make up their mind. For example, when you got down to the Gnostics, was matter good or was matter evil? Mm-hmm. And they finally decided that matter is evil yeah. and spirit is good, but spirit is invisible and it's un- really, it's frankly unapproachable and we can theorize about it, but that's all we can do. So, so they had this notion about this, the spirit being there somewhere, but they really couldn't connect that the spirit infuses the physical. And as a matter of fact, this is a problem we've got today 
which is we have scientists who are, who are fighting anything that that uh, that there is a life force that is there that can infuse a physical organism. That's mm-hmm. a that is a problem that uh, modern science is not c- coming to grips with. Mm. And you read a guy like Alfred North Whitehead or uh, um, Schrodinger who wrote the book What Is Life, mm-hmm. and you have. Um, a, 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 guy, a guy, a Catholic theologian like Teilhard de Chardin, they're, they're arguing that there is some kind of a direct connectability between the spiritual and the physical. Hmm. But they get criticized all the time because that's contrary to uh, 19th century deterministic thinking scientific thinking i, I gotta tell you like that what you just said is the idea of the greeks or 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 the uh who are we talking about greeks and who romans the romans thank yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> not understanding the spiritual like for some reason that's like i'd never considered that 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 there yeah. I mean, the, the idea of spirit was new at some point mm-hmm. you know yeah what like i mean because it makes sense that we wouldn't understand that they wouldn't understand matter but why would we think that they would understand spirit if they don't understand? Like, why would we under, why would we think they would understand the physical if they didn't understand? Or sorry, the spiritual if they don't understand the physical? I don't know. I feel like that was just kind of a well duh moment for me. It's interesting that you went to the Gnostics, though, because that's exactly what I first started thinking about when we, when we, we headed down this path. Is this idea of those two, uh, you know, not being able to coexist, and how again? I think that that how that that could have, could shape our own thinking. The other thing I want to say though is that that book. Are, have you read uh, "Love the Lord with All Your Mind"? I, I started. Yeah, recently. He talks in there about man. I, I that's a uh, J.P. Moreland. J.P. Right? Moreland. Yeah, I'm going to misrepresent it, but it was something about how one of the roles of our mind is that's how we interact with our spirit or something like that. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Which I think kind of speaks to what you're saying, this idea of that the physical and the spiritual can be like one in one body. That shows up in the Psalms uh, where, where, where you have David saying things like, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Mm-hmm. That, that, that there, there is this recognition that there's multiple layers of our interiority. And... That, that, that there's 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 some sort of distinction there that's that's important and and communication can occur between those uh, two two aspects or between those among those multiple aspects. I mean, th- think about that. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Like I can actually tell myself how I ought to be thinking. Mm-hmm. That, that, that it's 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 like a sort of metacognition, I guess. If, if you wanted to give some sort of moderny term to it, in other words, like I, it, it's not scriptural to say that I am a slave to my to my own desires. Like I don't have to gratify fleshly appetite. Mm-hmm. Let's say just because some aspect uh, of my consciousness thinks that something would be beneficial, preferable, enjoyable, mm-hmm. 
that doesn't actually mean that I have to go along with it. Um, and C.S. Lewis talks about it like uh, you have the um, he, he, he he sees the like a person in in three parts. You have uh, the mind as the seat of the intellect. You have the belly as the seat of desire, and then you have the the chest as being this this mediator b- between the two. Uh, and and the chest is is the seat of magnanimity or morality, and so. You have a chest if you can ask, well, is that good? It's like, okay, belly, I hear you. And, and, and like, mind, I know you want to figure out how to give the belly what it wants, but sh- sh- should we do this? Yeah. Is it, is it good? And, and, and that, that really is just to say that, that there is interaction bet- between various levels and sorts of not expressly physical things mm-hmm. in in the universe just taking that like our interiority as as an example yeah. and uh, like our interiority that, that and again that's only one aspect when when you go when you start talking about angels let's say well an angel is an actual creature mm-hmm. whereas uh, my interiority like, like I, I am a creature that possesses immaterial in- interiority. So do angels. Yeah. Now I, I don't I don't I don't know enough about that to to go very far into that. But if we conceive of angels as being something like just an idea, like an angel's just an idea. Okay. Well, no. Right. It no. has personality. Right. Whatever personality contains, they got it. They got it. Yeah. And w- w- whatever they do, I don't, I don't know it all, but part of what some of them do sometimes is, is manifest physically to humans. Yep. And sometimes it's scary. And maybe sometimes it's less scary. And th- that that's just all to say that spiritual does not mean without material substance. Yeah. And so if we are to take these scriptures about the hope that we have in Christ, the, the hope for those who are righteous because of him, if we are to say, well, okay, so we're going to have a spiritual body someday, and we take that to mean we're just going to be like angels which is really not being real in the first place right no no fleshly anything just kind of dancing on the head of a pin somehow like those dudes that come out of the ark of the covenant in raiders of the lost ark except good ones yeah yeah right and there was even uh so you know we were talking about gnostics have you heard of emmanuel swedenborg yeah emmanuel swedenborg was was one of these early I guess new age types that was maybe, I, I guess he, he, he kind of masqueraded on the Christian side of things. Actually, Johnny Appleseed was a Swedenborgian. Mm-hmm. If, if you've heard of that guy, yeah. heard of that cat, Johnny Appleseed, he was a real guy. He was a Swedenborgian. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that this new agey guy, and one of the things that stuck out to me about what Swedenborg taught was that the, the hope of the righteous is to... Uh, so, so like like a man and wife, let's say, uh, who are 
elite sufficiently in their esoteric righteousness that after death they become what he called a conjugal angel and their their spirits fuse and together they become an angel hmm. cute huh yeah <laughs> uh, but but a com- and, and that that's i know that that's weird but it's really common for people to have this idea i, I mean like shoot you, you see like the dale earnhardt number three on the back of somebody's car with an angel wing off of it and a halo yeah it's like well you know, I just know that Dale's, you know, up there looking down at, at me. the Talladega in the skies. <laughs> and, you know, he don't have wheels no more. He's got wings. <laughs> it's like, come on. But but that's not that, that, that far removed from what I think a lot of otherwise good Christian people think. Like, the ideas have become so vague that they're not. I mean, shoot, imagine what happens if a fence becomes vague. Like, you know, where there used to be fence, there's really not exactly fence anymore. Yeah. The goats get out. Right. <laughs> okay. okay. Right. And that that's a bad situation if you have anything that, that you want the goats to not eat. Mm. So similarly, when our when our concepts of uh, anything regarding the, the Lord, Scripture, goodness, anything, anything that's beneficial, if that's vague, well, bad stuff either comes through or the bad stuff gets out, however you want to conceive of it. And all of a sudden, you know, you're rolling down the highway with a Dale Earnhardt number three with, a, with an angel wing sticking <laughs> off the back. It's like, what, what happened here? You be careful. You be careful what you're saying here. We're Kentucky. Yeah. Is, is Dale Earnhardt from Kentucky? St. Saint Dale? Oh, I don't know. St. Dale. <laughs> I, just, I feel like there's probably some strong opinions about NASCAR. In this area, uh, yeah, yeah, probably so. I, I, I just said like <laughs> one out of three NASCAR drivers I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I pretty much spilled the beans there in, t- there you go. <laughs> in terms of my my NASCAR knowledge. Okay, so speaking of specific things, speaking of uh, trying to uh, avoid or, or discard vagaries. Related to dots that are connected in in the scriptures, um, you know about the the hope that we have in Christ, the the reward of the righteous. So, if we are to be resurrected into bodies, and the, okay, so they're they're spiritual bodies. Okay, whatever 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 all that ends up meaning, we know that it's like Jesus. We know that it's 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 physical. We know it's it's touchable. We know that you know these in these bodies. We will eat and drink. I mean, it's, it would be hard, really hard to have a marriage supper of the lamb without <laughs> eating supper. and drinking. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's not like the, the movie Hook, where you know we we sit down there and it's like bang a rang, and you know it's and then like the food just shows up, but it's not real. Like it's yeah, just it's an imaginary insane. thing. Like no, this is real. The marriage supper of the lamb is a real thing that we will really sit down to, and we will really actually consume. Yeah, I mean I. I don't know of any way to take that that doesn't end up making that out to be some sort of metaphor for, well, you know, the Lord just wants to commune with us. Mm. <laughs> Come on. But, but like, not literally. Yeah. Like, figuratively commune. In our hearts. <laughs> it, it's going to be like, uh, what is it like? What's that movie where it's it's like ghosts eating, but it's all just falling on the floor? I don't know. Um, like all of the ghost movies. Yeah, I, was, I don't know. I, I trying, think all of I was them. Trying to think of something other than like Slimer from Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. My parents didn't really let me watch ghost movies. Thanks, mom and dad. You, you did good. 
I didn't need to see him anyway. So, well, so, so, so we, so we have these bodies, and and they're apparently pretty nifty. If we're to take the example of Christ as at all exemplary, mm-hmm. which I think we should. <laughs> so, where will we be? Here. What do we mean by here? Earth. Earth. <laughs> okay. Are there any scriptures that give us specific information about the characteristics of this situation? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm answering all the leading questions, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, that was specific. Appreciate it. Okay. Turn to Isaiah 65. Oh, good. I knew he was going to tell us the answer. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's really hard to... Well, no, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll save that comment for... It's probably in this section here that says new heavens and a new earth. Oh, yeah, that one. That's the one. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. Okay, so what is that, like verse 17 or so? See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. How much do you want me to do? Oh, keep going. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Keep going. Yeah. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child the one who fall the one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed they will build houses and dwell in them they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit no longer will they build houses and and others live in them or plant and others eat for as the days of a tree so will be the days of my people my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands they will not labor in vain nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune for they will be a people blessed by the lord they and the descendants with them before they call i will answer while they are still speaking i will hear the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and dust will be the serpent's food they will be neither they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain so says uh, the lord vague or specific it's very specific very specific i mean does i've actually heard people say and this is what's so sad i've actually heard people say Man, I don't, I don't really know about going to heaven. I mean, if it's just a bunch of singing and everything, praising God all the time, I think that'd kind of get kind of old and boring. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard people say that, and I, I think maybe I've, I've had thoughts. Maybe when you know, when I when I was younger, like, man, are we just gonna be like singing forever? Yeah. Or other people have said, man, so it's gonna be like church. <laughs> Protestant church service. Forever? Forever. It sounded like a sound effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just, I, you know, if you just take your hand and cup it around. No, I, yeah. I okay. get it. Yeah. The mic, you mean you could do it too? I, I could. <laughs> but it's so sad that people have these vague thoughts 
when they aren't helpful and they aren't necessary and they aren't accurate. Well, and I, I mean, I believe we talked about this in many one of one of the many episodes where we talked about work. Yes, but it says here they they will build and they will plant and like they will work with their hands. They won't labor in vain. So I, I mean, I guess it sounds like seems it sounds like it'd be plenty to do. Right in in our bodies, right with our bodies. There's gonna be more to do than just listen to me lead singing for eternity or whatever it is that people think is gonna happen. I mean, sh- sure there will be singing, but but this sounds a lot like life. It does, mm-hmm. and the main difference is that it's not frustrated. Yes, right. yeah. No longer will will they build and someone else inhabit it, or somebody. Man, you, you want to hear some stories? Listen, listen to Winston and Todd talk about planting and somebody else reaping the benefits. Yeah. 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 Well, and I wonder too, because this idea of they will build houses and dwell in them and they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer they build houses and others live in them. I mean, it reminds me of, so I, I've been working my way through judges, which my goodness, judges, it's just nothing but death and corruption and and oftentimes death in very creative ways. Yeah. Good but, old JL. But right. But anyways, uh you know, in, in, in there and then we read it again as well and I think it was Nehemiah where it talks about, you know, when when God, you know, sent the, the Israelites to the promised land, like they lived in houses they did not build, they drank mm-hmm. from wines they did not mm-hmm. di- or from wells, wells they did not d- dig, you know, and that's this, this idea of so in the new Jerusalem, like you're going to work, but like you will reap the benefits of your work. Like not somebody else won't, and also you won't reap the benefits of somebody else's work. I guess at least in a corrupt fashion, you won't. And maybe there will still be exchange. I assume. Right. Well, and how much? Um, how many references were there to harps and clouds? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> Zero. Zero. How references. about wings? Huh? How about wings? None. None, none wings, no wings, <laughs> not even nuns with wings. What? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I wonder if where you you start to lose people on stuff like that is is when you get to like Revelation. Okay, do tell. Well, I mean, there's lots of wings in that one. There are, but how many of those wings are possessed by by humans? By humans, none, none. <laughs> yeah, and and how how many of how many of those multi headed beasts are Human, <laughs> human, in in and of themselves. I don't think I think any of them are Justin. Yeah, I think I think maybe none. <laughs> All right, Robert, could you read uh, Revelation twenty one uh, verses uh, one through one through seven? I really set you up there for you to make that natural translation. Yeah, you sure did. One through seven? Yeah, 21, one through seven. All right. Once again, this is an older version. I love it. This is a little bit of a word order. 21, one through seven. Mm -hmm. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth are passed away, and the sea is no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a great voice out of the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his peoples, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. The first things are passed away. And he that sitteth on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he saith, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said unto me, They are come to pass. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So where, where is that? What's the setting here? Earth. Earth. Yeah. Do you think uh, the water of life and the tree of life are related? Yeah, and in fact, the, the, uh, the tree of life shows up mm-hmm. uh, here. Let's see. Tree of life. Yeah, so this is chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And where are the nations typically located? Earth. Earth. <laughs> and there shall be no more curse. Where, where, where's, the, where's the curse typically? Earth. Earth. Okay. <laughs> but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. In what? Mine says the city. Okay, and the city is located? It's now on Earth. It's now on Earth. It looks like it came down. It came down. Okay, so where was the city? In heaven somewhere. Somewhere else. Yeah, heaven. And then it came down. And then when it came down, where was it? It came to earth. It came to earth. (laughs) And his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no, no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. It's, it's on, it's on the earth. And so anytime I talk, I hear people talk about that they can't wait until they're with Jesus in heaven forever, I think, okay, Jesus forever, check. Right. Now, if you want to say, like, that heaven comes to earth, okay, yes, 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 yes. Or if you want to say that heaven means wherever God happens to dwell, okay, all right. But usually when people start talking about heaven forever, it's that they, they have divorced in their thinking. Uh, like it's, it's, this, it's this still a separate thing. Mm-hmm. Like earth is gone or something or the earth is destroyed. It doesn't exist anymore. And, and we're just in this other place. And it's in that other place that, that we are for eternity. And I don't think that's helpful because it doesn't seem to be accurate. And, and even though it might be hard to understand all of the figurative language 
that that there is in the scriptures, not just in Revelation. Well, whatever the figure of speech is, it's not going to mean the opposite of what it indicates. So if it says that the whole that okay, so if we take the holy city of the New Jerusalem to be figurative, like this is just a metaphor. There's not actually a, a real city that's going to come down from heaven onto the earth. Okay, whatever it does mean, it can't possibly mean that we go someplace else. Because that's, that's the opposite. You can't say that the hope is that we go to heaven because that's us going up. And, and the, the image here, even if it's just a symbol, is something coming down. That the change occurs here, not us going elsewhere. And I think that that's, a, 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 again, that's another way that I think that people get into trouble. They say, well, you know, there's just a, a lot of figurative language there, and it's, it's so hard to understand, and, you know, maybe we just shouldn't read it at all. Because it's hard. Okay, all right. Or, well, you can't know everything about it. It's like, well, I didn't say I can know everything about it. <laughs> but we can know some things. Yeah. And, and maybe if we focused on the things that we can know, some of those other things might start to take shape mm -hmm. in our minds, or at least we might be ready for the time when those things do become more clear, or at least we could be making a decent effort in the process, you know, bare minimum. And, and so I, I think that, that that's the place that we're in. We have all of these examples that we know are historical, like in the Old Testament, these, these dots, let's say, that we're trying to connect. Some of those dots are also prophecies that are full of, uh, symbols and, and, and imagery and, and just strange manifestations. Mm -hmm. But it's like when we start connecting the dots, what we start connecting dots, and, and, and what these dots are amounting to is Christ has come, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And our hope is a, it's a, it's a living hope, which it's, it's a hope for life. Mm. Life in real bodies life in which we are we are made to be like Jesus life that's enjoyed in a place that's here that he remakes for us to in inhabit and, and enjoy and, and dwell in it's like just like the beginning but better so just like we have Adam who kind of messed things up and we have Jesus who came later who made every making everything better so we have this first order of things this first earth and first heaven that will be super in other words the stuff that's coming is better than the stuff that's been and that and knowing the, some of the specifics of that even if even if we don't know everything that is really comforting yeah so that's my final thought sounds good to me <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that this is probably the longest podcast ever. <laughs> probably. Or like like we're we're verging on Joe Rogan territory here. We are. <laughs> Hour 50. Hour 50. Is it? Mhm. That's banter included. That's not including banter, yes. Oh, sorry, not, that is that's including, is including banter. banter. Sorry, yes. All right. So you want to pray us out? I think our guest has to pray us out. That's oh, that the, is the rule, that's isn't the tradition. it? Is it? Yes. Yeah. All right. Lord, we thank you for uh, a chance to consider uh, the Holy Scriptures, your word, to uh, 
to think about things that you invite us to think about and to talk about things that you invite us to talk about. We thank you and we commit this enjoyable conversation to your observation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.